We begin today with one of the most powerful and dramatic moments well, in all of Scripture, and it happens at a place with a really catchy name, which you might have heard of, but probably don't know the shocking translation of what that name means. Then we wander through Ollivanders, argue with the sorting hat, and even hear from a listener, all on the way to responding to his demand, if you believe this stuff, prove it. Welcome to the Sky Pilot Podcast that explores questions of faith, spirituality, and religion. I'm Dan Matthews, and I don't have all the answers, but I do enjoy the questions. Welcome to the podcast where every question is an invitation into a spiritual quest, and you're invited along for the journey. Hey, just a quick reminder that every single one of my podcasts now are released both in this podcast form, but also in video form on YouTube. So if you ever want to check out the video version or there's something that I describe that you'd like to see the picture, just head on over to YouTube and search for Sky Pilot Faith Quest, and you'll find me there. All right, let's jump right into it. We're going to begin with a piece of scripture today. I'll read it first, and then I'm going to tell you a little background behind what's going on here. The passage is from Joshua 24. Now, therefore, revere the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your ancestors served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Now, if you're unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is an absolutely fascinating and compelling passage from Scripture. It's important because what it says and, as you will see, it's important because of what it does not say. So let's take a moment and catch up. If you will recall, the Israelites were held in captivity by the Egyptians and then, through the work of Moses and, of course, under God's instruction and guidance, they escaped and began their 40-year-long journey into freedom and the Promised Land. There is a character in the Bible who emerges as an important, well, initially sidekick to Moses, and that is Joshua. He's important enough that he accompanies Moses up the mountain when Moses receives the Ten Commandments. He was Moses' right-hand man for a while until he was ultimately chosen as Moses' successor. That meant that he would be the person who actually led the Israelites into the Promised Land after their long and arduous journey in the wilderness. Eventually, the time came. He was old, and the end of his days was nearing. He had completed his task of bringing the people into the new land. Now, just for a moment of perspective, let's remember that the Israelites were people of history, ritual, and tradition. And let's agree that a 40-year sojourn of wandering in the wilderness is going to cause the community to get a little lackadaisical about some of their own traditions and beliefs. We're told in the book of Joshua that many of the males born during their time in the wilderness, maybe all of them, had not been circumcised. So before they entered this new holy promised land, all the uncircumcised males were to be circumcised. Now that would have sent tremors enough through the males of the community. I mean, they had been wandering for 40 years, so that means pretty much every single male under 40 had to submit to being circumcised. Oh, and by the way, in this particular passage, God says, be sure to use stone knives. Would the appropriate thing to say at this time be, ouch? Absolutely. 
when the instructions were given to the Israelites, I mean, other than the part about the stone knives, they were told to circumcise the men. And these are the words that were used a second time. Now, this must have sent a shockwave through the older over 40 crowd. But in this case, the word used or the words used can mean a second time, or they can also imply a reinstituting of the tradition that had fallen by the wayside. So there certainly were some anxious old men in the community until that wording got sorted out, don't you think? Anyway, all of this happens at Gibeath Hayeraloth. And in case you think that this wasn't a huge and memorable moment for the people, for the Israelites, the name of this place, Gibeath Hayeraloth, was not the name this place already had when they arrived. This is the name that they gave to this place. And the name they gave it, well, means Hill of Foreskins. Oh, my. I tell you all of this because I need you to know how important it was, how momentous it was when Joshua decided to address the people that he had been leading. And that when he did address them, they genuinely had skin in the game, as the saying goes. I think you meant to use the word literally in that case. Yeah, I decided not to use it because I wanted to err on the side of subtlety. Okay, if subtlety was your target, then consider your effort an absolute total miss. <laughs> okay, so Joshua, towards the end of his days, calls together the leaders and reminds them of their journey, of their tendency at times to wander astray, and of their hardships and how far they have come and all they've sacrificed and all that God has done for them along the way and, of course, where they are now. And then he gave them this powerful charge. So let's go back to the passage because it has more power after we know what has led up to it and what's happening as this moment occurs. Now, therefore, revere the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your ancestors served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Now, if you're unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, what I want to draw your attention to is there is an important word that happens in this passage. The word is choose. He says to them, each of you must choose whom you will serve. You can serve the gods you've followed or the gods we've strayed to upon occasion, or you can choose to serve the God of the people in the land in which you'll be living. But as for me and my house, Joshua says, we will serve the Lord. Now, it's interesting because Joshua does not say to the people of Israel, I will now prove to you that our God is the only God. He does not say, I will now prove to you all the things that God has done for us. Nor does he say, I will now prove to you why God chose us to live in this land. No, there is no proof, nor even an attempt at any proof. When Joshua calls them together, he offers them no proof at all. He says, he only says, now is the time that you must choose. His emphasis is upon the word choose. And there's no mention of prove. I say this because we live in a time in which we place a lot of emphasis on proving and less on the obligation of choice. Allow me to explain. It is as if we believe that a truly compelling idea will prove itself to you 
And you won't have to make a choice because the proof of an idea will be so powerful, so compelling, no choice is necessary. It's strange because I can make an argument that every single well, truly important moment in life pivots around a moment of choice and not proof. It's kind of the idea behind true love in our culture. We love that idea. Find the right person, that magical person who is your one true love. And there won't be any work at all for you because the magic of perfect true love will have revealed itself to you, will have proven itself to you. We love that idea. Or should I say, we love that idea. Then love, true love. I feel like I can't mention true love without playing that clip from Princess Bride. The idea behind all of this is to let love find you, and you won't ever have to make an effort in your relationship. This is hogwash, of course. A successful relationship is far more about the choices each of you make than it is about finding just the right magical match. Or it's a little bit like the idea behind the choosing of a wand in Harry Potter. Remember Ollivander telling Harry Potter this. The wand chooses the wizard, Mr. Potter. But interestingly, if you read all the books, watch all the movies, Harry's wand, the particular wand he was using, was of minuscule importance compared to the choices he makes along the way. And you know what is perhaps one of the most powerful moments in the books of Harry Potter? It happens in the first book, in the first movie, during the sorting hat ceremony in the Great Hall when he's going to be placed into a house. Why is it so important? Because Harry realizes that this is a genuinely important moment in his life, and he wants to choose which house he is assigned to. Look, the point here so far is that life is not about destiny or fate or even proof. The most important things and events in life are about choice. And that's exactly the point that Joshua is making. Now is the time to make the choice, the choice of whom you will follow. I posted a podcast recently, and it was the episode in which I talked about Neil deGrasse Tyson and his beliefs and about a number of things. I received an email from a listener who said something like this. The problem with Christians is that they can't prove the truth of their beliefs. Let them prove that Christianity is true or even prove that there is a God and I and many others will believe. This is not the first time I've heard something like this, and it's fascinating to me. Why? Well, if you don't find my beliefs compelling, why do I need to prove to you what I believe? I have had something like this said to me a couple of times, and not once ever has the person offered to prove their belief system before asking me to prove mine. Their belief system evidently is a given. Mine, though, has to be proven. Look, if you listened to or watched the Neil deGrasse Tyson episode, he says some pretty disparaging things about philosophy. Well, he describes it as, and this is his word, useless, and also says how the study of philosophy can really mess you up. But want to truly know why? Part of what philosophy does is to really make you question the root assumptions of belief systems, which will lead you to acknowledge that assumptions, unprovable assumptions, are going to be made in absolutely any and every belief system. Even science. Yeah, even science. At some point, no system 
can be proven. Every single system of knowing, belief, evaluation, ethics, philosophy, or faith is going to require accepting some things without the ability to prove them. So to answer the question, can anything be proven? No, not really. I mean, yeah, within a given system and some basic assumptions being allowed to already be granted, it can then. Remember doing proofs in geometry? You know what started every single proof that we had to do? We were given an assignment by the teacher to prove something is true, but we always began with some givens that we could assume to be true before we even started. So, can anything be proven in a way that is absolutely unquestionable by anyone else encountering the proof? No. No, it can't. But, and this is something I've discovered as I've gotten older, but as you age, you discover that really isn't a very important question. Wait, wait, isn't important? So science and math aren't important. Is that what you seem to be saying? So let me start by saying that my undergraduate degree is in science with a minor focus on mathematics. So I love science and math. I'm particularly interested in the physics of time. But I'm not here to make a point that science isn't true because, well, I don't believe that. But I do believe there are things more important than science and math. These are the things that cause people to decide what they value and then, most importantly, how they treat each other. Your faith, your ethics, the core of your morality, none of those are grounded in anything that you can prove, but they are among the most important things in life, and they come from choice. Every day that you awaken, you will go through life with an opportunity to choose again. Interestingly, Joshua says, choose you this day. Isn't that interesting? It kind of feels like a daily decision is being offered, and maybe not a one and done kind of thing at all. And that's all for today. Just remember, you don't owe anyone any sort of proof of your belief system, and nor do they owe one to you. And never forget, every morning begins a day in which you will follow something that day. So be aware and choose wisely. As always, I'd love to know if you agree, disagree, have an idea for a future episode. My email address is dan at skypilot.zone. And on your spiritual journey, may you ask questions, seek answers, and boldly go wherever the quest takes you. Thanks for joining us here today and being part of the SkyPilot Faith Quest community. This is a great place to ask questions you wouldn't feel comfortable or safe asking in other places. And remember, the sign of a strong faith solid religion, or healthy spiritual journey is not certainty, but that you keep asking questions.